We are not only in a new era of protest, that also means we're heading to a new era of art that questions the establishment. Political and protest art has shaped and defined cultural movements. And to talk more about how the visual mediums can and have done so is David Breslin of the Whitney Museum of American Art. He was the curator behind the Whitney's exhibit, An Incomplete History of Protest, that looked at how artists from the 1940s to the present day have confronted the political and social issues of their day. The exhibition was designed to give a new relevance to protest art, which has a long and rich history throughout the 20th century and has now taken on new dimensions in recent years and weeks, moving online in new ways like via the app TikTok. We also want to take your calls. 313-577-1019. What do you think the role of protest and criticism of current politics and culture should be in contemporary art? And has there been a piece in recent years that you found personally affecting and why? You can call us at 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. And David Breslin, thank you for joining Culture Shift. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's really a pleasure. Oh, yeah. And so as the curator of this Whitney exhibit in 2018, An Incomplete History of Protest, uh, I was really hoping that you could take us back behind the scenes to what you wanted to show viewers about the influence of political art from the 1940s to current times and uh, what pieces were a vital part of that exhibit. Uh, and what was the takeaway, I, you know? Absolutely. I first want to say that I think what was important to us during the show is that it was a co-curated affair to other colleagues, Rue Hockley and Jenny Goldstein and I worked on it. And that was important because we brought different perspectives. Um, a lot of my work in the past has been done around art and the AIDS crisis. Rue had been thinking a lot about how black artists from the 60s to the present has really reframed how we think about art. And Jenny has this really historical knowledge of how these movements intersect. So I think that's a big thing to think about the different perspectives that we bring and how each of those perspectives will let us see those histories differently. For example, uh, the art that I thought was really important for me to get out there, because I think it was really helpful for me to think about what our moment is like now, is this poster by Grand Fury. And Grand Fury was this AIDS activist group who made this really incredible poster in 1988 that said, uh, with 42,000 dead, art is not enough. And I think what's so powerful about that is they didn't say that art was nothing. It didn't say that art wasn't powerful, but they said that it really had to be complemented by direct action, by marching, um, by being politically organized. So I think there's a lot of artworks that were like that, that held this tension between wanting to do something and also acknowledging that art has a serious role to play, but it can't do everything. And did that, that idea, did that have a, uh, uh, an influence on the title of the exhibit, an, an incomplete history of protest? Absolutely. Um, the show opened in 2017, so it was less than a year after the last presidential election. Protest was happening while the show was being organized, um, while it was up. Um, even our own museum was subject to protest at different times during that, during that moment in recent history. And so in some ways, we didn't want to say that uh, a museum exhibition could completely tell you what protest is like. This was only something that a particular museum with a particular collection with three particular curators could put together. But also we thought and hoped it would serve as an impetus for people to think about what visual language, what means of making art, whether it's performance, whether it's posters, whether it's a painting, because they all do something different. So for us, it was important to have political posters from the Vietnam era, from the AIDS crisis, 
um, but also abstract paintings. Um, I remember one painting that was incredible was called The Whiteness of the Whale, and it was by um, an artist named Tim Rollins in this collection called KOS, Kids of Survival. And Rollins was working with um, uh, high school kids in New York and really collaborating on things. And what they did was they were reading Herman Melville's um, Moby Dick, and there's this one passage that talks about all these scary things, horrifying things that are white, a polar bear, a great white shark. And for these black and brown kids, it was very resonant that white was being called out as a thing that could be evil, where in their other readings of things, it was something that was black or another color. So it was powerful to have this all-white painting in a room really setting the stage for so many of the issues that we're talking about now. Yeah, and I think that takes us into, into the next question I wanted to ask you. You know, we are in one of the most intense times of political and social turmoil, and that's saying a lot, given that it feels like the turmoil has never really subsided since the turn of the 21st century, since maybe 9-11. Uh, but yeah. muse- uh, mediums for expressing political frustration and, and challenging these mainstream narratives have possibly never been greater. We have murals, we have tags, we have posters, digital art, street performance, Instagram Live, TikTok. And so with so many ways for self-expression, especially when a political response can be made in hours and then shared on social, how do you see the, the current or next wave of politically charged art matching the power of some of those great murals that shaped the 20th century? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm thinking of you in Detroit and the history of Diego Rivera and kind of getting that that word out however one can. And I think it's going to take a combination of ways of working. And, you know, three of the, the works that I've found most potent in the last couple of years take very different forms. Um, I remember I live in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and I remember going down to the subway platform and seeing this one We Pasted poster that just had a photograph of a young black man in cap and gown with a text on top that says, um, something like a teenager with promise. And then it was a New York Times headline made to look like the, the front page of the Times. I didn't know who this artist was. I didn't know if it was an artwork, but I was immediately arrested by it. And only later did I find out that it was an artist named Alexandra Bell, who uh, is an artist, but also a journalist who wanted to show Michael Brown um, and with a text that talked about what, what she redacted to have a teenager with promise because the original language in the Times was a teenager who was grappling with problems and promise. She wanted to get something very direct. Why was this young black man in Ferguson, Missouri, murdered by a police officer? And how could we memorialize him? That was done in person. But then you have someone like Jenny Holzer and the Anonymous Collective who are doing light projections now that list um, different black Americans who have been killed in the last years, beginning with Emmett Till, um, which has been very powerful, making this private act of reading very public, and it's scrolling across the building. But I only saw it through Instagram. So it's this kind of really doubled thing where you have something that's very um, embodied, present for those who get to see it in the flesh. But for someone else like me who saw it on the phone, I get to see this kind of power of people being brought together and also wherever we are, that we're not alone, that we can be joined up. And then a friend of mine sent me a, you know, a photograph of the Robert E. Lee uh, Memorial Monument in Richmond, D.C., with a picture of black Union soldiers projected onto its base. It's a really powerful way of kind of pushing back against what that monument means, this monument that's already been tagged up in the months um, preceding it. 
So I think it's this really, te- this really important tension between remembering that we are in place, that these places are ours and have particular power, uh, and also the fact that we live in a digital world. And it's really that much more powerful if all of us feel more connected to it. We are on the phone with David Breslin of the Whitney Museum of American Art. He is the director of curatorial initiatives. We also would like to be on the phone with you. We're taking your calls at 313-577-1019. What do you think the role of protest and criticism of current politics and culture should be in contemporary art? And has there been a piece in recent years that have uh, you have found personally affecting and why? You can call us at 313-577-1019 to join that conversation. Now, David, you started speaking to uh, my next question just a little bit there, but I want to go uh, broader, more go- globally, when maybe language and uh, social norms are are barriers to maybe understanding uh, a political work. What do you think the elements are that would make a piece of political art resonate uh, not only within that culture, but, but also beyond it to allow for people outside of the original audience uh, to be moved by it? I- I'm thinking very much of the, in 2011, of the Arab Spring in Egypt. Yeah, I think it's a, a great question. I've been thinking about this a lot, um, thinking about what we might talk about. And there are certain things I think really are the hallmarks of you know, a, a great piece of political protest, street art, which is there's a degree of anonymity, you know, that experience of walking into a subway and seeing Alex Bell's work before I knew who Alex Bell was. She didn't sign it. Um, you came across this as feeling like there was an opening to you. There wasn't, you know, in some ways a signature style, like I know who that artist is, that must be Banksy or somebody. Um, there was an openness. And I'm thinking about, you know, an artist like Jenny Holzer, who was doing text-based works on the street in the 70s and the 80s um, that talked about things like different ideologies and how they're set up. Abuse of power comes as no surprise. Men don't protect you anymore private property created crime. And again, you could believe these things, they could align to your beliefs or they couldn't, but it made you stop. It wasn't authored, or if it was authored and you know it was, you're not told who it was, like the ideas enable you to let yourself into it first. And I think that's really um, a powerful way of thinking. And also a lot of these things play with ideas of um, marketing and advertising but they shift it in such a way that you know you're not being uh, asked to buy something and you're not being sold to. So there's a degree about using a language that people might be familiar with and putting it on its head. And then there's this idea of being, in some ways, um, you know, like made to feel that this thing is for you. That is, it's an anonymous address that seeks out you as a very particular person in a space at a time um, looking at it. Now, we spoke a little bit earlier about the power that a curator has in an exhibit. Uh, so for you, when you're putting together an exhibition that, that is speaking to social and political protests and, and also one that is documenting civil unrest, uh, what is that balance between how much of the story being told is from the influence of the curator's personal perspective uh, as opposed to how do you let the artworks be in conversation with each other and, and in a way that they can be in conversation with the, with the viewer. Yeah, it was for us when we, when we worked on that show, um, it was important that we really used the Whitney's collection and we didn't borrow from anything else because it is such a huge topic to take on. 
we almost needed to delimit it. It was the story of not only the Whitney Museum and its collection, but all the curators who had you know, acquired those works on the way. And in some ways that made it, um, it made it a story that we could hold on to and tell um, because there was a limit. It was also very important to us that we had a gallery that talked about how the museum itself had been a site of protest um, from the 30s to the current day, um, from groups like the Black Emergency Cultural Coalition to um, you know, Women Artists in Revolution, that we had to be, um, if not navel-gazing about it, we had to have some self-introspection because protest doesn't just happen in the world. It's not just about political figures, but cultural institutions themselves um, are sites of protest. So it was a way of having to look kind of globally to see what those issues were from civil rights to uh, the AIDS crisis to, um, to um, the election of Donald Trump. But it also had to be about where we were at a particular point in the Whitney's history in 2017. And if you didn't line those two together, it could seem like you're almost patting yourself on the back about doing things. So there, there had to be a sensitivity about what, what role um, we play in that larger world, even if it is in a smaller way. And now before we wrap up this conversation, with your, your experience curating uh, political art and the fact that the, that the current movement we're seeing is led incredibly by the youth, what advice do you have for young artists and young activists in wanting to make a piece of work that has has a great deal of impact on, on the time? I mean, that is a fantastic question. I would, I would say um, it's about um, reaching out, less about, you know, me as David Breslin or you as Amanda putting our names on something um, about an issue. But what is that, that thing that we want to put out in the world? How is that going to reach other people? I mean, I think about where I am right now and seeing rainbow flags in people's yards and seeing Black Lives Matters yard signs in different places. And in some ways, we, we know that those are made by people, but it's not the first thing that comes across our head. We see these as hugely important symbols that stand in for so many of us and what we believe in and what we've worked for, and that comes first. Um, it's the job of you know, historians and curators to really ground who made those things and make sure other people know it. But the artist who put those things out into the world was really responding to the issue that they care deeply about that was more important than just one person. And we've been speaking to David Breslin of the Whitney Museum of American Art. Uh, thank you so much for joining the conversation today. I really had a lovely time talking with you, David. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amanda. I really appreciate it. And you're listening to Culture Shift here on 1019 WDET.